Blog Talk Hello. Radio. Hello, this is Reverend James Ellis, and welcome to my show. And I'm so honored today because I am doing a book review of a book that I just read. I was so mesmerized by uh, the book and uh, the events that took place in it. And it's a real live, true story. And so I'd like to start out by um, saying Shattered Windows is the title. And it's a memoir about surviving the legal mafia and its crooked players who happen to be partners of several international law firms. They run the show no matter what the evidence says. After succumbing to the overwhelming force of unethical tactics, Della Rose discovered she was robbed of her inheritance worth $125 million over the course of eight years and 17 lawsuits. Della Rose experienced fraud, and corruption with the court system that stole her inheritance, transforming her from an heiress to a homeless woman. And I have the honor today to bring Stella Rose on uh, to speak to about her real-life experience. Stella, are you there? I am, and thank you so much for having me on as your guest today. I really appreciate you. Oh, I'm more than happy to do it. I read the book, and it was a fascinating story. And to think that it's real life is just, it's in some ways so sad. But um, I feel like it's an empowering thing for you uh, because you actually did the right thing. You took control, and you found your voice anyway. Do you feel that way? I feel as though that there is a lot of change that needs to be done in the judicial system. And I feel compelled as a 47-year-old <laughs> to make those changes implemented now in real time so generations to come won't have to suffer the same blows that I have. Because quite frankly, I'm not sure how many people could survive what I survived. So if me writing the book would be able to implement changes to make the world a better place, then in that regard, justice will be served. That's how I feel. I think it's very admirable that you're standing so strong amidst um, all the tyranny that you experienced. So let's start with the story. The story is actually you growing up in a very... um, well, at first you didn't realize you were in a rich family, but uh, they were wealthy from your childhood, correct? Yes, very wealthy, yes, correct. And so you had you have brothers and sisters, right? Yes. And, and so what happened is um, your parents, uh, it's, it's your family story. Your parents got married. It was a whirlwind romance. They loved each other greatly, and they um, made a family, right? My parents were soulmates. Um, It would be considered like a May-December romance because they were five years apart. And they, yeah, they were 25 years apart, but they died four months apart. So when my dad passed away, he was 90, 
My mom was 65, but ultimately they could not live without each other. It's like a Romeo Juliet story. Nice. So uh, are those step-siblings then, or are they your real whole brothers and sisters? So I have four siblings from my parents, two half-siblings that are still alive that um, last I checked. Um, But my father had 13 children total. Uh, Wow that I'm aware of, but um, the story focuses on the siblings that I had from my parents, my dad and my mother. There was five of us and I'm number four, a middle child. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, so your brothers and sisters also grew up with you, right? In the same household. It wasn't like it was a split household. It was my understanding. Is that correct? Same household. Same household. It was great. It was great. We had uh, Gia was the baby, you know, and um, I was the middle child. And if you want to do research about where you fall in the sibling line, um, (laughs) it rings true (laughs) is what I can say, you know. The middle child, they don't know everything. They find out everything last. But I, I love growing up. Being a middle child, I love my siblings. I, I love my family life. I love my parents. Uh, in the book, it does talk about you know some abuse, you know. But in the same token, in the time frame when I grew up was back in the eighties, and you were taught to respect your parents no matter what. And I still love my parents, good, bad, or indifferent. They made me a strong woman, and I appreciate that. It was all good. The one thing that I also resonated with me through the whole book is that your family, your father and your mother taught you children all to be family, family first. Isn't that what the policy was? 100% family first. Exactly. Yes. So it makes the story... It, it makes the story so intriguing because um, you had a father who really, really loved you, and he had told you as you were growing up as uh, as a little girl, one day this is going to be your house, even though you had siblings. Um, and he always was there with gifts and treating you as, a, you know, the little heiress that you should be, right? He was great. Um, my dad... He he had those. He, my dad was born in 1922, and they say that the World War II generation was the greatest generation on earth, and I believe that. He instilled in us the values of having a strong family. You stick together no matter what. And I believe... I I honestly believe that we took that to heart, you know, but when the outside influences came in, it was just too much to bear. At at some point, somebody was going to break, you know. Uh, uh, Or be manipulated. 
And so it sounds like there was a, a lot. As as I read the book, it sounds like outside interference came in. And but I, you know, I have to say this. Uh, even though that's what it sounds like, it feels to me like that your brothers and sisters actually did the wrong thing. And uh, and it doesn't matter. They actually were the people that signed the final papers. So we have to hold them responsible. Don't you feel that's true? I feel as though they were influenced by um, a tsunami. I feel as though they were influenced by a tsunami. I I honestly do. I feel like at some point their thought process was very clouded and they became outnumbered. I I don't have all of the information, though. You know, there's still a lot of information that I would still need to come to that kind of a conclusion. But from what I understand and all the things that I went through, they never had a voice. I think they had a voice, I, or maybe because of the older brother who was in charge of everything, um, other people didn't have a voice and went along uh, so that they could get whatever they could get, weren't left like you, destitute. Um, so what was the hardest thing about writing writing the book for you? Reliving it? The hardest thing about writing the book was confronting the emotional relationship that I had with my siblings. Absolutely. I still struggle with it every day. Every day I struggle with my emotional relationship with my siblings. You know, we go through the days, we go through the months, and, like, I know every one of my siblings' birthdays, and when those days come by the calendar, I know, you know, I know it. The holidays come and go, and I'm left all alone. I, You know, I, I can only compare it with, like, almost like what a mistress would feel like. You're only important at the off times, you know. Nobody really ever contacts me, like, on the holidays and to see how I'm really doing. People come and go, and they they chime in, you know, especially with the book being published. Of course, a lot of people would like to reestablish connections with me. Um, and you're always thinking in the back of your mind what that person's motive is. So putting the book out, for sure, I knew I was going to become famous. I knew I was going to become a celebrity. And it's now everyday battle of who wants to come into contact me and what their reasoning is behind that motive of them contacting me. So it was a struggle publishing the book. It took me eight years to do it because I had to face that enormous burden of, what does this person want from me now? It's, you just really it's can't kind trust anybody. I know. It's, it's, very it's a sad, sad story. Um, it's a sad story because your siblings actually, uh, um, actually agreed to disinherit you and take your name. That's actually what happened. Correct. Right? That is correct. So, correct. So they've taken you, how can a court take a birth name? I mean, you were born, your father 
and your mother gave you a birth name that went on your birth certificate. And I can't think for any reason why a person would have to give up their name. And yet they made you change your name and, and they tried to just erase you. They just said, okay, well, you're not allowed to use your name anymore. You're not allowed to do anything with our company anymore. You're not allowed to come over to our houses anymore. And they just, like, erase you. And that's what seemed, that's the story that I actually uh, felt happened in the book. Is that correct? Oh, it's correct. I felt like I was being drowned in a pool of water. Every time I tried to come up for air, they just stuck my head under the water and just was hoping that I would die. And that was really, and it still to this day is very difficult for me to talk about because I grew up in a family um, you know, my, my parents' marriage, it, it wasn't perfect, but you could very clearly see that my my father loved my mother and my mother loved my father. But my siblings, at some point, it all just became so twisted. And at, I just felt that they just wanted me to die. And I, at many times, many times, I wanted to die because I was like, wow, I I just don't see a way out of this. But something inside of me just kept me going. But um, ultimately, they, they wanted me to die. Whatever influence was on um, their energy at that time that made them feel that way, I I don't know. And I I do comprehend it from time to time. I meditate. I think about it. and I still can't wrap my head around it, but ultimately they just wanted me to die. And um, I go back to thinking about, you know, I just wouldn't give up. <laughs> I just never gave up. I just kept seeing that white light and I just kept going towards it. And I, I felt that need to keep going. And I still feel, and I know other people may disagree, I still feel as though that there was another force that was pushing them to make them do it. Because we grew up in such a weird environment. You know, here we are, like my dad has all this money and, you know, we – from the outside looking in, we never wanted for anything, but yet my dad made us realize the value of a dollar. You know, 10, 20, 30 years later, something happened to change everything, and it bewildered me, quite frankly, and I was left unraveling all the pieces. I was the only one that really never gave up the, the seeking the truth. The reason why I keep belaboring that point is because that lawyer had to have his hand in every single piece of the pie. And they would not have been able to pull it off if it wasn't for that lawyer. Well, I'm sure because of the amount of money that we're talking about that um, every lawyer would have uh, been very interested to try to settle the estate because they would get a big pot of money 
and the longer that it dragged on, I'm sure they made more and more money. The the hard part to understand though is um, is when your brothers and sisters actually would sign against you, and um, and to think that you would just disappear. I want to say something that I think was the most profound thing that uh, I met a quadriplegic, and he said to me that no matter what happens in your life, if you didn't die from it, you're living with it. And so uh, that to me was a really empowering statement, and it gave me a lot of courage for myself. Um, and I want to say it for everybody so that possibly other people like you could really get some courage because you are living with this, whether you chose it or not, and it is a reality, and you didn't die from it. And what what I think they think is that you're just going to go away. But the thing is, is you don't just go away. You're still alive. You still have your faith. You still have your body. You still are living, and they have managed to take your money from you, your name from you, your inheritance from you, and destroy your relationship with, within the family. And so you're living, it's not like it gets to be over. Uh, but there is a way to get over it, and that is to um, forgive them for what they did, for they know not what they do, but they, but always hold them responsible because they actually sign the papers. Don't, you know, forgiving them doesn't mean you forget about what happened, and it doesn't mean that they can get away with it. So it's interesting. Now, this, they attacked you legally in the court system so that you had no recourse. Is that correct? Yes, and that was the hardest part for me, to be honest with you. The thing is, is, okay, I, here's what was hard for me. I established a new business under a pseudo name, okay, which was appointed by the court system. So I'm working in a legitimate business, running a legitimate business under a fraudulent name, and the court felt that was okay. And I don't feel like that's okay because I'm selling products for other families now. That's how I make my living doing, you know, I work in the same industry doing the same thing, but I'm court appointed under a different name so here i am asking people in some of these orders like i received an order for 1.3 million dollars so i'm taking 1.3 million dollars of a client's you know money under a false name and i don't feel good about it and the reason it eats me alive is because the lawyer said that should be okay. I don't think it should be okay. I think my clients deserve to know who I am, where I live, how to hunt me down in case that product doesn't show up. There's where the problem came in for me. Now, I decide to publish the book, explain to people why it has to be this way, but still, in somebody's mind, they're thinking to themselves, why should I give this girl $1.3 million of my money 
knowing that that's not really who she is. Then I have to pull up all of my court documents, show them all of my, and it's like I'm reliving the story over and over and over again. Yet the United States court said that's okay. It's actually not okay. If you give somebody $1.3 million, you should have that person's information. But yet it still flies it flies under the radar. To me, it's unusual. I buy something. If I pay $40 for something, I want to know where it's coming from. I want to know the country of origin, things like that. The United States government actually gave me a pass to work as an alias, and I'm thinking that is fraudulent. Even though I know in my heart, in my soul, I'm doing the right thing. The products are going to show up. Why is the United States government allowing this to happen? People, it happens every single day. It's it's just ridiculous. And all of this could have been avoided. You know, at any time, I feel like my siblings could have confronted the demons. They could have, you know, but who knows what they were facing. Who knows what they were facing? I know that I had so many scare tactics placed on me, people stalking me, pounding my door down to the point where I had to leave the state, things like that. You know, you just never know what's going on behind closed doors. And I, there's a lot of sympathy that needs to go out to people who are victims. I'm not a victim anymore, but... At the point when I was a victim, it was very scary. You know, I was thinking to myself, I'm walking down the street, I'm walking my dog, are they going to shoot me? You know, sometimes I wanted to just say, you know what, kill me off, it'd be easier. I wouldn't have to worry about all these names, all these different bank accounts, things like that. The authorities didn't help me at all. They didn't help me at all. I was completely left helpless. And I think that there's just a lot of reform that needs to be done in this country, in the judicial system. America's not that old. So I said, you know what, I'm going to publish this book. Let's see where what, what we can do to make change. And I feel so, like I'm going to make a change. So your father was all about family, yet in the inherit when they read the will, he excluded you? And your sister, your little sister, but gave everything else to the other three siblings. Allegedly, he gave everything to my brother, and my two older sisters never contested that in the will. Correct. Oh. Oh. So he was actually the sole inheritor of everything. Allegedly. And. and Yes, allegedly, based on uh, what you think is a false uh, will that was presented. I because your father wouldn't have done this. Right. Correct. Because your father my dad was, was all a about... family man. Oh, yes. my God, he loved family so much. You couldn't take him to the dollar store without him buying five pens, five pairs. Of... He, was, he, was, he was awesome. 
He was like, you know what? I had a neighbor, and my neighbor told me about how she had, you know, no father in her life, and all. I I started crying. This was just last summer. I went with my neighbor. We went to a summer concert, uh, socially distanced because of COVID nineteen, and she started. You know, because like every time I go out, I tell everybody about how great my father was. And when she told me that, you know, her she didn't know she grew up not knowing her father, I started crying. I said, "Oh my God, I wish you knew my dad. He would have taken you in. He would have treated you like his own child." My dad was a saint. He wanted every child to know that they were loved. Like he was such a great man. And anytime somebody tells me that they like never had a dad or their dad was, you know, not a good dad, I fall to pieces like Cassie Klein in her songs because my dad was so good. He used to tell me all the time, friends will come and go, but family is what you need to know and I still feel as though he was right about regardless of what happened between my siblings and I I still stay strong with what my dad said that you know what family's where it's at and I feel sorry I don't have a relationship with my siblings but maybe someday you know you never know well, I, they say never say never. Right. Um, so do you feel like um, writing the book was therapeutic? 100%. And, yes. and it was therapeutic, it was therapeutic in that you got to say everything that you wanted to say, or did you want to say more in the book and you just were afraid? No, I said everything I wanted to say in that book. Uh, but everybody's names were changed, and even the business was changed. Everything was changed, so that uh, um, you can't really tell what, who, and what the business was, uh, because you're not allowed to talk about it, right? Correct. Federal court will so, prohibit me from saying things like that. Correct. Yeah. So, um, so you're not allowed to talk about your. Uh, your real name or your real uh, life that you had for how many years? 30, 40 years before this happened? (laughs) I'm 47 and I still cannot legally state my name. Where I'm from, where I came from. 100% barred from that. So how can they actually do that? I, I'm just curious because I, well, I didn't legal. go through it. It's so not I, legal. It's not legal, but they but, they passed it. <laughs> <laughs> so then it does make it legal, though. But it does seem uh, it's quite, illegally legal. <laughs> so, um, but what they can't do is they can't make you go away as, like they wanted you to because you're still alive. So what you had to do, they took everything from you, had, including you lost your house and everything, and you had no place to go and no one to turn to, and the legal system was failing you and robbing you at the same time because 
uh, the lawyers were making, uh, I think one quote was about $650 an hour. <laughs> that what I lived in my car. I lived in my oh. car um, until I could find a, you know, I lived in hotels. I um I got by. I I am ugh. I lived in my car. I lived in hotels. I lived under alias names. I've lived off the grid. I've lived in really gross, disgusting places. I still to this day still have to live under alias names. I live in Adequate housing, um, very difficult. But you're starting to very make difficult. your way back. Cause one thing about uh, what they did to you is they brought you as low as you possibly could go, so there was only one place to go from there, and that was up. And I'm glad that happened for you. And I think your book reflects it. I think what, what people, when they read Shattered Windows, are going to realize is that, you know, you grew up in actually a loving family, and all of a sudden, due to uh, um, greed is what it sounds like to me, for um, some kind uh, let me, there was one question. I did think it was because of greed, but there was a, a, a indication that, do you think that the, it, they excluded you so that they wouldn't, their illegal activity wouldn't come back on you? 100%. Uh, wouldn't come back on me. I think that I was one of at least many victims. Okay, so let's put it like this. The lawyer who did this only deals in the top 100 of the Forbes richest list, Okay. So we're talking my dad was worth at least $1 billion, okay? How many wow. other people, how many other people were in the same boat? How many other people were cognizant to speak about it? I think that there's a lot more victims out there. I think that writing the book was my way of saying, you know what? I'm going to talk about it. What more can you do to me? What can you really do to me? Like I've lived in roach motels. I've lived out of my car. I've washed my clothes in the sink. What more can you do to me to make me shut my mouth? They failed at killing me off physically And I still have this voice. So there's way more people with me who just didn't have the stamina to come forth and speak about it. I'm speaking about it because, you know, I understand that not everybody was born with a silver spoon in their mouth. But even the rich people, the wealthy people, get taken advantage of. And it wasn't, it's just, it's just not right. It's not right. You know, it's it's just not right. And I'm still going to talk about it until the day that I die. As long as I have a voice, I'm going to explain to people, you need to be aware of 
third-party interferences. These are the people who come in and they seek out victims. Who ended up with my money was a law firm. They took my money. They took advantage of me. Did my family sign off on it? Yes, they did. What was the influence behind that? I don't know. I can't really right. talk about that because right. that wasn't me. Right, but it, um, what they did, to, so why wouldn't they just, because it's so much money, why wouldn't they just give you $125 million? <laughs> I mean, if you're talking, you know, I know that's a lot of money, but at the same time, you are their sister. Why didn't you my know, why brother, they... who owns a mansion, offer me a room in his home when my half-brother, who had basically nothing, still offered me a room in his home? Why didn't my sister, who has an 18,000-square-foot mansion, offer me a room in her home? Those are questions I have no answer for. Will she ever answer? Will he ever answer? Why they never even offered to help me 10 years later, I don't know. Those are very good questions. Still waiting for those answers. 100%. So, so what was the hardest thing? Was it just when they took everything and had you out on the street and just nobody to talk, talk to her, or was it that you had to change your identity? The hardest thing was when I was separated from my youngest sibling. Um, When she threw me and my dogs out into the street, I was wearing a a bathrobe (laughs) in the rain. I had $20 in my pocket. My dogs were running around. (laughs) And, you know, I... I hit rock bottom. Two weeks before this happened, I remember I called my friend and I said, oh, my God, I hit rock bottom. I'm like, my sister's cracking under pressure. You know, it's it's all coming down. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Living out of my car, um, you know, living out of my car with my dogs running around in a bathrobe with 20 bucks, that was that was the worst part, I think. I lost all of my own self-respect. I I just felt like, you know, maybe I should die. Maybe I'll be better off, you know, reincarnating into a bird or I don't even know. The worst part was that nobody believed in me. You know, when you're alone and you're so isolated, people say things to you. They say, oh, you can sleep on my couch or if you ever need anything, call me. They're never there. They're never there. People don't come through for you. They they sell you a line of BS is what I call it. Nobody is really ever there for you. You know, they they say they're going to, but my famous saying is when you're up, your friends know who you are, and when you're down, you know who your friends are. You you hit rock bottom, and you realize that you're just watering a bunch of dead plants. My dogs were the only wow. companions that I had. My sister wasn't so, there um, for me. Nothing. So 
where did you find your support system when you were isolated? Blog Talk Radio, the psychic. I know that sounds really <laughs> lame, but it's true. I would call them for advice. Um, people came and go, you know, people come and go. People would help me get by, but it was like putting a Band-Aid on a broken foot. Um, I found the greatest strength within myself and learning to just get by with just seeing the first, you know, two or three seconds in front of you. It it was really hard, you know. It was really hard. it would have to be if, you know, I cannot imagine living in a car. I mean, that is about as bad as it gets. Um, and, you know, because there's no bathroom facility, no food, no, I don't know how you actually made it through. And you were living basically on the streets in a big city? Yes. yes. Yeah, and you're a woman in- a woman in a big city living in your car. How sad is that? And this is what your family felt like was the appropriate way to proceed with you. That's what just kind of is mind-blowing to me since your father was such a family-orientated uh, person. And it sounded 100%. like, you know, they were family-orientated right up until they, you know, they blindsided you. The day they were backstabbing you while they were eating uh, holiday dinners with you. 100%. Yeah. 100%. So you're actually, yeah, you were actually having dinner with your, with your siblings at the same time they were disinheriting you. And they were setting it up so that, yeah, so that you couldn't uh, um, go to visit them. They locked you out of all the property so that you, uh, didn't have access to your own stuff, wasn't it? Like, didn't you lose all 100%. the stuff in your father's house that's yours? Everything. Everything. I I left uh, with um, two suitcases. I uh, literally went down to... So imagine going through your home, apartment, wherever you live, and you get two suitcases, and that's all that you get to move forward with. Two suitcases. That's all that I was able to take with me. And and that's you it. weren't allowed to come back and get the rest of your stuff. They just nope. Because of, of court nope. orders to stay away. Mm, that's it. Two suitcases. And and what they did was they set you up to say, oh, come over, and then you would get in trouble, right? So they would actually 100%. do things to, to uh, and, and, which cost you more money in the long run, you, not them. Oh, it's horrible. Yes, 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 yes. Set little traps for me, you know? to try to make me go this way and then, oh, I'm thinking they're, you know, they're throwing on an olive branch and ah, it was a pitfall, you know. 
it was just easier at like now I know it's just easier like when I get a cry from mom, you know, like to just not respond. It's just much easier now just to say, you know what? There's no U hauls following her says, let it go. That's why I'm so attached to my dog and you know, like the clothes on my back and if any, I, I I have so many backup plans that, like, you know, if the feds come in or if the authorities come in, I got my dog, I got my purse, and I'm ready to go. I have two, suitca- two, two suitcases packed at all times ready for that call because I know it's going to happen. And if it doesn't happen, it's fine, but post-traumatic stress disorder, I'm ready to just roll. You can't hold on to it all. I lost everything. I had a home. I had, you know, I had a couch. I had a TV. I had cable. I had, you know, everything. Now it's day by day. That's how I live. It's actually scary. Especially since you come from such, you know, uh, you know, a secure background. Like, uh, so it, it it does seem ridiculous that um, that they would think that your father would want you to have none. Why? Why would they ever come to that conclusion? I, it just doesn't make sense. And um, so that unbelievable. Was little, yeah, I can never resolve it when I read the book. Yeah. So what was the to hardest thing day, for you during this? I need Dr. Drew. I need Dr. Phil. I need a priest with some holy water and a Bible. It doesn't make any sense. My da- I'm serious. My dad was so good. And I mean, he, I mean, did he, I don't know about probably, but I'm going to tell you right now, he was great. He always made sure, like, I remember asking my dad, Dad, can I get these cowboy boots? I remember I walked up to him one day, and he was working at his desk, and I said, Dad, can I have these cowboy boots? They're $189, you know, and this was, you know, 20 years ago. $189. He said, you know what? I said, Dad, I swear, it'll be the last cowboy boots I ever buy. He said, you know what? You deserve them. I'm going to give you $189 for those boots. If I say, Dad, can I have this winter coat? It's $200, but it'll last me. I still have it. I still have that coat my dad bought me. $250. He gave me the money. He said, you know what? You can have a new coat. You can have new shoes. He never said no. But it was weird because something happened. And it changed. Like, all of a sudden, the older three siblings, they got together. You know, my brother, my brother had a learning disability. And I remember this when I was a young child. And I talk about this in the book. I would tutor him. And he had a learning disability. And I helped him through, you know, school. He was a consistently a D and F student. But, you know, I helped him enough to get by. I think that the two older siblings ultimately sabotaged him. He drank the Kool-Aid. The lawyers came in. It was a done deal. They were over their heads. 
they couldn't get out of it, and the lawyer sucked all the money out. That's mostly what happened. What actually happened, what I think would happen, could be two different stories. And the reason why this happened, though, is as your father got towards the end of his life, he got Alzheimer's. So he didn't remember. That's what Very sick. Very sick. Very sick. Very sick. Very sick. Very sick. My dad was very sick. When my parents divorced, see, now my dad worshipped the ground that my mother walked on. And he could not he couldn't stand it if my mother wasn't unhappy. Oh, my God. He was like he lived for her happiness. And when my parents divorced, that was the start of my father's decline. And by the time the siblings and the lawyers started working on this new estate plan, my dad was completely checked out. 100% because my dad was so pro-family. And when all of this happened, it just came out of left field. So 100% my dad was sabotaged. And you all worked at the same company, his company, all of you. Our so whole lives. You come, Our whole yeah, lives. So, and so that ended at, uh, after he, before he died, but uh, after he had the onset of the Alzheimer's. And one thing that I loved in the book is when he said, you went to see your father and he said, oh, it's the girl with the yellow car. <laughs> Was that it? He did say that all the time. Yes. Yes. He called me the yellow car girl because he remembered that I drove a yellow car. And Alzheimer's patients, you know, they're like little babies. You know, they they go back to when, you know, they don't, they try. They try so hard to remember, but. He could he couldn't remember my name, but he remembered my car. The yellow car girl is what he called me for eight years. <laughs> well, <laughs> plus for eight years they kept you separated from him, trying to uh, to while they manipulated his money and all of the legal papers. So while he was having Alzheimer's. They were signing the company over to themselves. That's what happened, right? 100%. I would sit across the street from my dad's house, and I would get text messages. You're on camera. They're watching you. We have 100 cameras on you right now. I'm sitting across the street. I'm crying. I'm, I'm like... Dad, if you can hear me, I love you. I love you. I love, and I would do this like day after day. You know, I my friends would my friends would contact me and they would say, you know what, you can't do this to yourself. Why are you putting yourself in this position? And I said, but he might come out. He might see me. You know, and it was almost like Casey Kasem. You remember Casey Kasem from the the top 100 billboard, I just felt like if I, if I stood there long enough, 
he'd come out and he would see me, but it, it never happened. And I just, I gave up after he died. I still drive past his house and um, it's vacant, by the way, his house is vacant, but I still drive past his house and I still just, you know, I I still have pictures of my dad in my apartment. And I, every morning I wake up and I say, hi, dad, I love you. And I just felt like it was a tragedy because I loved him so much. And I feel like every day I get up, I have to live to his standards. Get up, you know, perform for this country. My dad was a World War II Navy veteran. And he said, you got to fight for this country. You, you, you know, he loved the United States. And every day when I get up, I say, hey, Dad, I love you. And I just put my best foot forward and I ask him, what do you want me to do today? And I just do whatever he tells me to do. And that's how I live my life. It's crazy. It's crazy. So, uh yeah, that is crazy, and what's really crazy is that um, that they thought they could just erase you. <laughs> I just, it just is, and the thing is, is that if the court systems don't work for the people of the United States, then uh, there is no, there is no United States. And one thing Not that you all. were counting on, right? You were counting on the on the legal system. To stop the shenanigans, but it Forget did that. just the opposite. Yes, it did just the exactly. opposite, right? It, exactly. It destroyed. Pro and say your is brother, no say. Right, and if you well, don't you have the what, money for legal... Thing. Here's the thing, though. I understand that people are going to read the book, and people are going to say, oh... The siblings plotted against her. Yeah, I could see them saying that. you got to remember these lawyers. And once they get involved, the lawyers take over. And I never heard my sibling's voice after the lawyers took over. And that's why I still hold back and think to myself, what was it that they were going through? You know, I remember going to my dad's wake, and my brother said to me, I love you. He whispered in my ear as I was kneeling down at my dad's casket because I wouldn't get up from it. I love you. I thought to myself, you know what? What are these lawyers doing to this guy? What are they doing? I have to leave that open as a gray area because these lawyers, they... They take over, and they create, like, the perfect storm. And I'm still going to hold to that. You know, people can say, oh, you know, you should throw your family under the bus. They're no good. Maybe they, maybe they went to this law firm, and they said, Dad's got Alzheimer's. The family business grew. You know, what should we do? And then the lawyers got greedy. I honestly feel like that's what happened. That's my personal opinion. Do I think that my siblings despised me because I was the smartest one? I do, but 
but I don't think that they wished me dead. I honestly believe that the law firm wanted me dead because they're the ones that took my money. 100%. And and I'll go to the grave with that because they ended up with my money. $125 million? You go try to earn that. I know, but if... It's a lot of work. If if it's a billion, though, um, that's still just a fraction. You know, that's why it's hard for me to conceive that that they would be that greedy to... uh, What I do think, though, is that they, like you said, um, you had 17 different lawsuits, right, that you had to appear for? Yes. Yeah, so they yes. uh, the attacks just kept coming and coming and coming over the course oh. of eight years. So yes. I kept thinking that there was going to be a resolution, but the resolution was you're not to exist anymore, you don't have a name, and you have to figure out where your money's coming from because you now have nothing. And... Uh, you have to think that your family left you that way. They knew you didn't have any money. They obviously, when you went to live with your little sister, uh, they knew that you now had no no resources, and yet they still uh, didn't True. didn't reach out. And uh, and not that they can't still do that. They can still come through with money and give you money. Obviously, they're very very rich. <laughs> you know. Since they did get your inheritance, yeah, I mean, you know too. what? That that's a that's a question that always lingers in the back of my mind. Why didn't they offer me a place to stay? Why didn't they offer me a job? Why didn't they offer me any kind of help? They didn't. They did not offer me anything. They left me for dead. One hundred percent. Yeah. They left me for dead. Yeah, and I still, maybe I have Stockholm Syndrome. You know what Stockholm Syndrome is? When, like, the person feels bad, you know, for being the victim. I Maybe I have Stockholm Syndrome, but the way that my father raised me made me that way. I still feel as though that there's some little hope that, you know, but no, they never came through. That's true. It's true. And, you know, I'm still going to therapy. I'm still seeking counseling. I'm still looking for why I feel as though they deserve to have that out. But it's just that's what my father instilled in me. And, you know, maybe someday I'll think differently. But as of today, I still feel as though that they were hit with a tsunami also. It's easy for me to judge them, but I don't want to be that person because people have judged me. You know, I live in really low housing. I live very subpar. Um, You know, the way that I live is way below my means, Um, but I am surviving and I'm okay with it for now. Uh, but you know, I I don't have those I don't have those answers. I'd love to have those answers. I don't know what it was that they were going through. 
I don't know if the lawyers had put undue pressure on them like they did my father. There's just so many other factors that I really just don't know. And I and for that reason and that reason alone, I still reserve the right to have my gray area is what I call it. Yes, it's easy for me to say, you know what, my brother should help me out, my sister should help me out, but I don't know the demons that they're facing and for that reason, I just still have to say, I'm open to some questions. I know, but it's and, not and financial. And that's my, my reasoning. Financially, they, they, it's horrible. <laughs> right. Financially, though, they don't have. Yeah. Why? I mean, they, have no they don't worries. have financial. They have no worries. No, right. they have no so, worries. They live in mansions a, and they have nannies and cleaning ladies and Ferraris and everything else. And the other but thing is that you actually helped that foundation of that company, though, with like over 80,000 referrals, didn't you? Correct. Yes. Yes. That's correct. Yeah. 100%. So, um, so the manipulation started when your father got Alzheimer's and they started to steal the company from him instead of it going 100%, like... 100%, correct. Yeah, and then yes. they started slowly inching you out, inching you out, and then all of a sudden you realize after your father died that you're not getting any inheritance. You weren't even mentioned in the will, which seems with your close relationship that you had with him, it seems that that has to be, you know, something that they manipulated. 100% correct. So how do you move forward? Uh, how did you move forward and uh, how are you doing now? I was very honest with my clients. I let them know that um, the FBI had intervened in my life and that I was under surveillance, but I would do right by them. And they continued to work with me. And it was inch by inch that I was able to rebuild the company and establish myself as a somewhat legitimate person. I, what still bothers me to this day is that the um, United States government thinks it's okay for me to transact business at the rate of millions of dollars under a fraudulent name. It bothers me. You know, I have contracts that come across my desk and I'm signing off on them at $1.3 million each. And it's under a pseudo name, but yet the government thinks that's okay. It's not okay so, with me. So do you have to pay taxes? It's frustrating. I pay taxes all the time. <laughs> yes, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm just, politically correct. Oh, I, so you have to pay taxes under your pseudo name. <laughs> correct. Uh, so did they I change your social security no... number too? Nope, nope, and they offered me no protection under the pseudo name. So the United States government ordered me to operate under a pseudo name, but never offered me any form of protection from it. 
So if I were to be sued, God forbid, under my pseudo name, I still would have to back that up with my birth name, but they're completely out of it. See, and that's that's the catch-22. So they want me to operate as a fraud, and that's okay, but if something were to happen, they're not going to back me up. So it was kind of like I went into the witness protection program without the benefits of it. 100% fraudulent, but they're okay with yeah. it. And That's so kind that of was bullshit. Done and and I want to add that I am a consultant with major cities, major cities, Hire me as a consultant under a fraudulent name. That's messed up. Well, it's not fraudulent because they've assigned it to you, right? It's just it not is your fraudulent legal birth. Because they're awarding me $1.3 million worth of funds under a pseudo name. That means people are giving me $1.3 million to transact contracts under a pseudo name. That should not be allowed, but yet they allow it. That really, really, really walks a fine line in my book on what should be legal and not legal. It shouldn't be legal as far as I'm concerned. Nobody should give me $1.3 million under a false name that the government assigned to me. No, that shouldn't be allowed, actually. I don't think so. Bertie Madoff or whatever, he went to jail for that. But in my case, it was okay. I don't think it's okay. You give somebody $1.3 million, you should know who they are. You should know where they live. You should know everything about them. Government says it was okay. So it's kind of interesting that we're doing a radio show and nobody can see your face, but your face is on the front of the book, which is I'm very glad that uh, it's uh, with the book because I was afraid maybe you wouldn't even want to show your face because um, the next thing they're going to say, I would think, is, oh, my God, she's representing herself (laughs) because you can't hide your face. (laughs) So they basically lock you into where you can't ever succeed. You can't have a Every time I get in my car, I start the engine. I think to myself, is this the day I'm going to die? Did they put a bomb under my engine? When I start my car, is my car going to blow up? Is this the last time I'm going to live? Every single time, twice today, I went to run errands, and I went to start the engine in my car, and I thought to myself, Is this the day I'm going to die? Is this the day I'm going to die? Every single time I start my car, I wonder if that is the moment before my car blows up and I'm going to die. And that happens to me every single day. I think they're going to kill me. I think they're going to kill me. Because you're still alive and you can still talk and you still have a face. (laughs) 
So I put my face on the book because if I do die, if they do kill me, somebody will know how to track it back to who's responsible because I might hear my car alarm go off at 4.30 in the morning and I know somebody's putting a GPS tracker on my car. I know they're still tracking me. I'm on my cell phone walking my dog and Siri, Siri on my iPhone repeats back to me the last 30 seconds of whatever it was I said to my dog in my Bluetooth. I know they're still tracking me. I think to myself every single day, is this the last day I'm going to be alive? Because ultimately they just want me dead. And that's what goes through my mind every day. I wake up, I'm like, oh, my God, I made it another day. Because I still think they're trying to kill me. How bad is that? Um, it it, it looks like you... I think they're trying to kill me. Well, let's hope that, you know, uh, let's put out there that that... Uh, that won't happen because you are out in the public and they can't just make you disappear and your face is on every book. So, I mean, I think that's uh, important. And I think it's important that you've chosen to actually tell your story because um, a lot of people deal with the legal system and it's corrupt. It was like, um, it was like the presidential election this year. He didn't get a day in court. And if you don't get your day in court, there's no justice. And you didn't get your 100%. day in You got. And, and like you said, right. you said, you have the evidence, except that that wasn't allowed. You never get to show your evidence because they don't allow you. They only allow the lawyers to do whatever the lawyers want to do. And so you basically had no voice. And, and you were abandoned financially. So here you are, homeless, like you said, an heiress to a homeless person. It had to have been very, very hard and traumatic. And I understand the fear because um, you're a threat to them as long as you're alive because the story is still real. You still are the daughter of your father. You know who pays my rent? The county and the state pays my rent. The county and the state pays my rent. That's how I get by. I get up every day. I go to work in the county, in the state. They pay my rent. They give me food stamps, and they pay my health insurance, and that's how I live my life. I am on government assistance. I live, like, very low. I live very low. And you know what? It's not okay, but it's just where I'm at right now. I'm just rebuilding my life, and I'm lucky to be alive. I'm lucky to be alive. And it's easy for me to say, oh, you know, I should blame my siblings. But, you know, (laughs) the really the, the problem was the city and the county never processed my legal claims accurately. If I would have been able to receive a fair trial, none of this would have happened. 
I don't know if my siblings were too scared to come forward. You know, they have they have uh, wives, they have uh, husbands, they have children. They just figured, eh, maybe she'll die off, and you know, everything will just die off with her. But that didn't happen. I'm still alive. I'm still working. I hope to get off of uh, state assistance. I hope to get off of county assistance. Um, And I hope to make a difference in this world. I think that it was an understatement what happened, and that's why I wrote the book. Let's see what we can do. Let's see if we can make some changes. There's other people out there like me. I hope that they contact me and we can get together and and do something about this because my dad, he didn't deserve, you know, I just one thing, I know your show is only like an hour and a half and I appreciate you having me on. There's other elderly people who are being taken advantage of just like my dad. He died like he suffered so harshly. He was so abandoned and I hope that doesn't happen to anybody else, but you know what? Maybe we can all come together and make a difference. I really hope that, you know, my story will inspire other people where we can create a movement for change. Why should it go for not? If I die, then they win. Why should the evil win? Shouldn't the light, you know, shed some, you know, light on this all this darkness? Let's make a change. Let's make it happen. I'm 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 gonna show up tomorrow, the same day I just showed up today. Let's make a change. Let's make it happen. Let's well, make it better. So that brings Yeah, so that now you know, I have to give you accolades that you wrote the book and that is an amazing feat in itself. And um when we were talking earlier you said that you actually wrote the book several times, so um, why don't you just tell us a little bit about that? I started writing the book after I got beat up. Um, I started writing the book after I got beat up. I I wrote the book. I started writing the book so many times. I, I wrote the book and I was saving it in blogs. And then my friends were telling me, don't publish those blogs. Don't publish those blogs, you know. They'd come over. I I would have people pounding on my door, pounding on my door, pounding on my door, stalking me, stalking me, stalking me. I'd go into my basement. I would type. I would just get it all out. And I just started, you know, just writing things and writing things and writing things. And then um, I would start. I would stop. I would start. I would stop. I wrote. A, I, I bought a book, How to Write a Book. I joined a a writing group and I started going to it and I started expressing my feelings. And then I found an editor and he was wonderful, by the way. He actually, his name was Anthony. I'm not going to say his last name, but his first name was Anthony. He passed away in November of 2020 of coronavirus. He really inspired me. He got me to open up. He taught me to just start talking. And he would, he was elderly, and he would edit my chapters, and he would send, his daughter actually would 
take my copies and go to his house and he would redline everything and bring it back and he inspired me to keep going. Then finally, um, during the corona pandemic, I was really excited. I'm like, I'm going to finally do this after eight years. I'm finally going to put it out there. And then just one day it all just fell up, you know, fell, it all just came together. And I said, you know what, once I press this button and I upload all this material, there's no going back. Once I put this out into the universe, I don't know if my family's going to ever talk to me again. I don't know what's going to happen to them, but I've got to do it. And I felt like J-Lo in the movie Selena when she was jumping off of a bungee cord and just jumping. You know, there's a part in the movie where she just jumps and says, screw it, I'm just going to do it. And I just said, you know what? You know what? No matter what happens, the world's going to know my truth. And um, people really can get ripped off $125 million. And that's what happened. And I just finally just decided to face my fears and confront the issues. And if my siblings hate me, then so be it. If we can finally make justice happen, that'd be great. And if not, the balance will come in between all of that. And that's I finally just pushed the button to publish, and I was so excited when Amazon picked me up, and then Walmart picked me up, and eBay picked me up, and now I'm on Kindle, and I've been talking to Oprah and Ellen and all these other people who want to know my story, and now I'm creating episodes for, like, different, um, like a movie or um, a movie series is picking me up. I'm working on that now, and so... My day job became like the back burner because now all of a sudden I'm a celebrity and I'm just speaking, I'm speaking the truth and all these people want to know me. And But at the end of the day, I'm still that lonely little person who still has no family <laughs> and just a story. And that's still pretty sad, <laughs> but it's okay. Well. I'm hoping to be a part of a movement that will change things for the collective. Well, it's really important that that people understand that if the legal system is corrupt and they aren't allowing you to bring forth evidence, then you don't have a legal system. That's not legal. That is a con. That's right. 100%. And I... I feel so sad for you. What I want to say about not having family is embrace that everyone that reads your book is your new family because the truth is is when uh, people abuse their siblings, it's vulgar. And what they did to you was vulgar. And they're not nice people, and I'm sorry that they're your brothers and sisters, but if they would do that to their siblings, Imagine what they're doing to other people, you know, like you said, off the radar because they have enough money to cover up every step. And that's where it becomes so ugly. And I know you want your family. That's so funny that you say that. That's so funny that you say that because there's a chapter in the book where I talk about the ugly stick. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I still yeah. laugh about it to this day, the ugly stick. The ugly stick chapter, yeah. which I think is about like chapter like 11 or 13, it's, yeah. it's all about that. Yes. Thank you for embracing that. I I appreciate you for saying that. They, uh, it's such, I hope, and my hope starting here, I know it, it started eight years ago when you started writing the book the first time, but I'm hoping that now that you've uh, gotten to the completion of the book, that you can really take back your life that was, I mean, they stole it from you. And it's not that you want their money. It wasn't that. It wasn't their money. It was your father's money. And the other thing is when they really are, and I know that to some degree that they are normal or nice people, but they're not really normal or nice people because, number one, they're very, very wealthy, which is not normal. And number two, they are very obviously greedy that they would, uh, you know, wouldn't include every sibling. You know, with that much money, it's not like they're going to be deprived and it wasn't like you're going to try to take down their industry or their factory or that you were trying to do something negative to them. And yet they still attacked you like you were vermin. And I want you to be empowered to know that people uh, are hurt by their family the most because we love our families. And so we... We, you know, when you love somebody, you're vulnerable, and you love your family, and you believe what your father said, family first. You believe what your father, when he says, this is going to be your house when once I pass, and it's, it's vacant, and you're uh, in public housing, and they're worth billions, and you have zero, and you're trying, and then you started, you said, okay, I'm going to start this business for myself. And you start this business, and then they sue you for starting the business and take your name and your money and everything again. It's, and to uh, this was, day, I still give phone calls for people who tried to egg me on. It happened two times this week, and this happens every week, where people call me and egg me on to try to get me to break that federal lawsuit that I'm barred against. So it's, when will I get off the federal housing? When will I get out of living in the Roach motels? When will I be able to finally live a normal life? Like I get up, I go to work every day, but yet I'm still living like low rent. You know what I'm saying? Like why can't I make enough money to break through that glass ceiling. You know what I'm saying? When is the day going to happen where I don't have to live like this? They have set me back so far that I don't know how I'm going to be able to get ahead. It's disgusting. I live with roaches in my apartment. I live with no food in my refrigerator. And yet I still keep going, and it's gross. It's just gross. Anytime I try to get ahead, I can only get so far because my fake credentials will only allow me to get this far. I need to be able to get over that hump 
and say, this is who I am. These are the that I have. How, you know what I'm saying? When can I live above low rent? It's ridiculous. I wrote the book so I can say, listen, this is what happened. This is my past. Now I'm ready to move forward. Will you accept me, world, with all of the scars that I have? I need to get out of where I'm living, how I'm living, and to make a reasonable living for myself so I don't have to live like this. One of my dogs died because of the exterminators exterminating my apartment because the roaches were, like, that terrible. Like, I never have food in my refrigerator. Like, yeah, I mean, I get around life, but it's so gross. It's really disgusting. Like, I deserve better. I I started working when I was 14 years old. I'm 47. I got 20 more years to give to this country. When are they going to back me up? I'm sorry. I know I just well, went off I, on you a little no. bit, but... No, it's important to um, say what you really need to say. There's about eight minutes left, and I want you really to, um, if there's anything specific that you want to say about the book, that I mean, some of it was so interesting. I have to say that I enjoyed the book. I've read a lot of books in my life, um, and I've reviewed a lot of books, and I liked how the book flowed, okay? One thing that it did was it kept me captivated uh, to read the whole story. Uh, lots of times, um, there was a couple of times that I thought, oh, okay, she's complaining. But, you know, you have a right to complain. Look what they did to you. And um, and it was unfair. Uh, I think what I'm hoping is that because you, by the end of the book, it feels like you finally came into your own. And that's what I uh, I want you to um, just tell us whatever it is specifically that you want people in, to look at when they're reading the book or um, how you're going to move forward. I know that you said something about um, the, uh, a different business, that you might go into different business. Um, one of the saddest days of my life was about three months ago. I reconnected with a high school friend and um she contacted me, and we we got together, and she said, hey, I drove past your brother's house. I said, yeah. Uh, she says, did you see it lately? I said, no. She said, oh, you know, let me tell you, blah, blah, the mansion and the cars and the blah, and the blah, and the blah. And she, she pulled me into a, a side room, and she said, wait here. I said, Okay. I'm waiting there. I'm waiting there. I got my dog with me because I never had my dog leave my side. She comes back and her husband comes out and they offered to do a hit on my brother. They said, oh, I'm gonna, <laughs> would you like me to beat your brother up? For what? Well, you know, to teach him a lesson. I said, you know what? I've never been about violence. I said, you know what? You don't know me. You actually don't know me. The one thing about me is I'm going to tell you one thing. I'm not about violence. And you know what? I don't like your train of thought. You have no idea what that person is going through. You're judging a book by its cover. 
And I ran out of air, and I was scared, and I was frantic, and I came home, and I got on my knees, and I prayed to God like I always do. And I thought to myself, oh, my God, there's people who are, like, (laughs) really going about this the wrong way. I think that it was very disappointing how my family handled the situation. I think that they probably wanted to redo my dad's will when he was sick because he acquired so many different assets since the last time he updated his will. The lawyers came in and they overwhelmed them and they overwhelmed everybody. And I think that at the end of the day, God still decides what it is I'm going to get and what it is that my siblings are going to get. And I still wish no harm on my siblings. I really do. And people will say to me, how can you be so weak? Why do you stick up for your siblings? Why is it that you act like that? Because there's still so many unknown factors that I don't know about. I'm not going to be some cheap knockoff sell-off that's going to say, oh, you know, just throw them to the wolves like they did to me. I still think that there was an overwhelming force that caused them to treat me a certain way. I do think that they wanted to put me at a disadvantage, but then it just consumed them, consumed them, when they had more of the power and the greed on their side, like you got to imagine that for a minute, you got to imagine that you have like a team of lawyers at the rate of $3,300 an hour. that's just telling you to do these things. And they just went along with it. And I could be wrong. And I hope I am. But at the end of the day, what I do know is that I'm going to live my life the way that my father taught me to, which was to do the right thing, get up, get out of bed, go to work, serve the country, do what you can do, rise, be proud. And you know what? What I'm going to end up doing, I'm going to end up being a successful business person like I always have been. They set me back 10 years in life, but you know what? God's going to set me up for the next 100 years. And I know that's going to be true. I have so many business offers that are coming my way, people who want to interview me, people who want to lend me money, people who are going to offer me a fresh start in life, and I welcome all of those things. I have a lot of emotional issues I still need to work through. Believe me, I ain't perfect, and I don't want to be. I'm still going through things. I'm sorting through them like it's mail coming in through the door. Put in this pile. Put in that pile. At the end of the day, all I'm looking to do is to be that well-rounded person who's going to enjoy the rest of their life. When I was 32 years old, I got a letter issued from the Social Security Administration that I already satisfied my Social Security requirement for the rest of my life. I don't pay into Social Security because I already satisfied all the money for my lifetime that I need to pay into that. And I am still going to get up tomorrow and go to work. 
because I love this country. I still believe that I can make a difference. But beyond that, I want to make a difference for all these other people. Elder abuse is very real. I want people who are um, elderly to have to have their wills recorded by video. And we're going to knock off a lot of this nonsense. My dad was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful man, fought for this country, and I'm going to make sure that I make a change, and we're going to make sure that elderly people have their wills recorded by video, and hopefully, with thank God, with your show, we're going to get the word out. We're going to make a change in the justice system. Senior citizens will no longer be... Okay. Victims of um, elder abuse. Thank you, Stella. Uh, I want to um, just say, if you want to reach Stella Rose, you can get her at shatteredwindows7 at gmail.com. It's shattered, T-E-R-E-D, windows, W-I-N-D-O-W-S-7 at gmail.com. Um, I want to thank you for coming on the show with me. And uh, there's so much more that I want to talk to you about. Uh, possibly we'll have to do another show uh, if you have the time. And um, I want to uh, really encourage everybody to get a copy of her book. The book is on sale at Amazon. You can get a Kindle copy too. You can hit the link that's in the show description, and it'll take you right to uh, Stella's book. And Stella, I am... I feel bad that I'm calling you Stella, but I so, so appreciate you coming on the show. And um, let's look forward to maybe doing a couple uh, other shows over the next few months or something. How does that sound? Thank you for everything. I love you. Thank you for everything. I love you. Okay. <laughs> okay. So that's the end of the show. And uh, um, thank you. And uh, remember, everybody, life's amazing. And uh, pay attention to what's happening right in front of you because obviously they can they can blindside you. And I'm going to call that the end of my show. And we're going to close it. Amazing.